Welcome to Eat, Drink, and Do Good, a newsletter and now podcast from Studio Atel. I'm Jenny Dorsey, the studio's executive director. Each month, we feature original social justice op-eds with a focus on the food, beverage, and hospitality industries. In these upcoming episodes, we'll be revisiting some of our favorite pieces from 2021. I hope you enjoy the podcast today, and if you're learning something from these op-eds, please consider supporting us on Patreon at Studio Atau, spelled Studio A-T-A-O. The Debt Culinary Schools Carry by Reagan Draper American culinary institutions position themselves as the necessary first step in becoming a hospitality professional. These two to four year degrees often come at a high cost. On average, culinary schools charge $12,000 a semester, excluding room and board. For students without ample savings or financial support, many borrow heavily. At least 51% of the Culinary Institute of America students have to utilize federal school loans averaging $12,000 a semester. Given that federal loans do not even cover half of tuition, already disadvantaged students are forced into predatory private loans with interest rates far higher than federal loans. This is the unfortunate reality of most students in the U.S. navigating a privatized education system. However, what is particularly sinister when it comes to culinary schools is that students are set to enter a notoriously low-paying industry after graduation. Starting salaries for graduates range from $20,000 to $30,000 a year. While their debts average $32,000 per year of education, The hospitality industry consistently includes some of the lowest paying positions of any industry, and the color of your skin can further reduce your earnings. This does not even include the unpaid internships or stages regularly asked of students before landing a job. This practice, taken from the French concept of stagiaire or trainee, is not only technically illegal in the US, but its prevalence naturally privileges white or financially able individuals while excluding the most vulnerable. So how did we get here? To fully understand hospitality today, we have to first understand that the hospitality industry is built on plantation-style economics. A country's legacy of white supremacy normalizes, informs, and empowers exploitation, dehumanization, and abuse in the name of profit. Settlers committed genocide against Native Americans in the name of land and yield, which laid the foundation for the Southern plantation economy. Wildly profitable for white landholders because of millions of enslaved Africans' stolen labor. But this style of economics did not simply end after slavery. Newly freed African Americans found themselves exploited again by the rapidly growing hospitality sector employing them without a formal wage and forcing them to work for tips for white clientele. These positions were often managed by middle management, similar to an overseer in plantations. The continued exploitation of labor via 
unpaid internships, as well as the race, gender, and class-based front-of-house versus back-of-house divide, perpetrates the legacy of the plantation era. Culinary schools continue to enforce this style of economics, with their high cost of entry partnered with demanding free or low-wage labor these primarily for-profit institutions reap benefits from exploiting their most vulnerable students in the name of education. American culinary institutions have an obligation to protect their students and engage them in an education that actively encourages evolution and hospitality. So what does an equitable culinary or hospitality education look like? First, I implore culinary institutions to take up the conversation of food sovereignty within their teaching. Food sovereignty is the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, and their right to define their own food and agricultural systems. That is, a system that places the power back into the hands of those who produce the food and looks at it as a right, a public good, and not a commodity to be sold only to those who can afford it. We're talking about more than farm to table here. This means valuing our agricultural workers, viewing them as partners and not just hands in the supply chain, localizing food systems, encouraging local control of our food, sharing indigenous knowledge and skills, engaging in community food structures like CSAs and mutual aid, and working with nature through education, foraging, medicinal purposes of herbs. What fed the millions of people who sustained this continent long before any culinary school heralded the French or Italians as the sole keepers of important food knowledge? How can we honor the food culture of indigenous people of here and those stolen to here? How can we combat the current right versus wrong food culture. If culinary schools are going to teach the art of food and extract a price on stolen land, they have an obligation to engage in this work. We can learn from organizations like Food Empowerment Project, Seeding Sovereignty, Food Education Fund, Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, Heal Food Alliance, Soul Fire Farms, and Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance. I also argue that these establishments should be paying reparations to Black, Indigenous, and undocumented folks. I challenge culinary schools to reflect on how their practices and disregard for historical contexts have continued to harm generations. What does it mean to create programs, initiatives, educational resources, teachings, and investments that center Black, Indigenous, and undocumented voices. Culinary schools could use their power to create lasting systemic change by offering free tuition for marginalized identities, hiring more Black and Indigenous teachers to educate on their food culture and practices, and placing their land in trusts governed by Indigenous people. Instead of simply training students on how to survive in an exploitive industry, educate them on how to advocate for a livable wage and set healthy boundaries that don't cause burnout. Over the years, culinary students have repeatedly voiced concerns about crippling debt and its burden on their lives. As a former student myself, 
I was fortunate enough not to graduate with student debt. But after years of being underpaid and overworked in kitchens, I transitioned to working as a host and server. Knowing firsthand the challenges of restaurant work led me to create the Chad Project, a collective of workers in Chicago, Illinois, tracking equitable practices inside restaurants and advocating for the power and dignity of our industry's workers. For those looking to make a change, push yourself to consume more Black and Indigenous work. These are some of my favorites. The Cooking Gene, a journey through African-American culinary history in the Old South by Michael W. Twitty. Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. The Work of by Tunde Wei. The Racist Sandwich, a podcast. If you are considering going to culinary school, ask about the classes led by Black and Indigenous teachers during your visit. Ask if there are any courses addressing food sovereignty, food equity, or decolonizing American hospitality. Ask what anti-racism plan the institution currently has in place before you sign on. Review the racial demographic of the professors, deans, and other positions of authority within the school. Does it reflect the diversity of the student body? At the CIA, this is clearly not the case. If you are currently in culinary school, push your administrators to invite indigenous and black chefs to campus as guests. Ask them to invest in diverse clubs and student organizing bodies. Money talks. So what practices are your school administrators fostering to grow? Even if you are not going to culinary school or even working in the industry, you can still email a culinary institution in your area and ask how they plan on working towards a more equitable future where the historically marginalized are properly represented. You can also support raising the federal minimum wage, which would help lessen the financial burden of those graduating into the hospitality industry. And finally, if you are white, you can do your part in supporting reparations by preparing for them in your personal life by budgeting and normalizing the idea of them in your sphere of influence. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find all prior issues of Eat, Drink, and Do Good on Studio Tao's website at studiotao.org newsletter. I'm Emily Chen, the head of content at the studio. Every month, we'll be releasing a new newsletter and podcast with social justice analyses from new and emerging writers. Make sure to sign up for our mailing list and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to be the first to know on all new episodes. All of our contributors are paid for their time and work, so if you're able, please consider supporting us as a monthly donor via Patreon or via a one-time gift at studiotow.org. Thank you for listening.